So kia ora tato. welcome back and in this podcast I'm talking with three amazing rangatahi or young leaders about how they engage with young people in their various work life and personal life. Um, what we find with consumer behavior is this real focus on understanding people authentically, trying to get inside their head, but sometimes it's really difficult when they're not like us, they don't have the same values as us, they don't represent the things that we think are important. And so listening to Rosa, Josiah and Katie about how to authentically engage with young people, whether they're part of their community or from a different community, is really empowering and enriching to help us understand how best to engage with a diverse audience. Um, they talk about some of the things that they get asked a lot. They get talk, they talk about some of the things that uh, annoy them, but also some of the, the solutions and strategies that people can use if you do want to engage with youth in the future. So hopefully you enjoy it. Sit back and enjoy this chat from Rosa, Josiah and Katie. So kia ora tato. Welcome back. Uh, my name is Akant Veer and this is another episode in our podcast. Uh, and I want to start by telling a little bit of a story about Fire up. A little over a year ago, I was in a meeting in the city working with this company, this organization that was doing some campaigns and marketing and trying to find a way that would represent all people in the city. And they showed me the list of people that they wanted to engage with uh, as part of this campaign, as part of testing. And I, I kind of flippantly and maybe rudely said, um, I think I'm both the youngest and brownest person on this list, and I'm not that young and not that brown what are you going to do about this? And they genuinely came back with, oh, young people are so difficult to engage with. We don't know where to find them. And diverse people, I think they called it, uh, are so complicated and we don't know how to engage with them. And it was just blowing my mind that somehow young people are so weird to other people and especially people of color are so weird to other people that maybe a little bit of, I don't know, uh, education could go a long way. And so I've brought together um, three of my favorite young people. You all still count as young, right? I guess so. Yeah, right. I think so. <laughs> They're all much younger than me, so therefore they all count as young. Uh, to talk about engaging with not just young people or diverse communities, but just how do we engage with people that may or not be who we are, or to help us understand this. How do we engage with a wide audience? So I have Rosa, Josiah, and Katie with me, and rather than me really do a bad job at introducing each of them uh, myself, I thought I'd hand it over and allow each to describe who they are, their background a bit, and, and the sort of work they're doing at the moment, especially in this area of youth engagement. So Rosa, do you want to go first and, and tell us who you are? Yeah, sure thing. Um, well, tēnā tātou te whānau. Uh, he uri tēnei nō te arawa, ngō Ngāti Whakauwe Oku Haku. Um, I te puwaki au ki Ōtasahi, ka koraina au ki Middleton Grange. Um, I, ko Rosa, has its going to talk ingwa. So, kia ora everybody. My name is Rosa. I'm from the mighty tribe of Tarawa and have grown up in Christchurch, currently living in Wellington, which is super fun. Um, I am the Takatuki president at University of Canterbury, which is the Māori Student Association. Um, and yeah, that's kind of been my main role while I've been at uni alongside some other pieces of mahi here and there of um, helping out with Akuma Māori and advocating in that space. The reason why I mainly got into it is because I had some really awful racist experiences at school. And I was kind of just outraged looking around being like, why do these other students not understand that this is wrong? And so that kind of was like my way of going, okay, well, I understand that there's so many things in the community that doesn't work for me and for Māori rangatahi, what can I do about it? And that's kind of where 
I got into the pieces of mahi I do now. Always have been passionate about education because education wasn't great for me. But I think, yeah, the point of it is making it great for those who are coming after us. Awesome. And currently you're interning up in Auckland with the Ministry of Education. Is that correct? You're doing some work? Yes. Yeah. yeah, Wellington, I'm here doing um, the summer internship for Ministry of Education under Te Tuarungo. So that's the Māori education team, mainly working with the Kahikitia strategy. I'm kind of like comm support. So this is quite fun doing this engagement corridor. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, maybe we'll go on to Josiah next. Josiah, why don't you tell us about yourself? I uh, for those of you who have not met Josiah, he's a hulking, huge, seven foot tall man, good looking young man, um, who I met when he was half my height. Uh, and, and he seems to have overtaken me. So uh, he's done very well, not just in, in his height, but also his the money he carries and the role he plays in the community. So tell us a bit more about yourself, Josiah. <laughs> ko Aotearoa ki te whāwhi ki te hoaka uh, no Otopotiahau uh, kei Otahi e noho ana uh, ko Oranga Tangata, Oranga Whānau tōku mahi ko Josiah Tavita tō rā māri i tōku ingoa <laughs> Malo Lava Les Tufua uh, Thanks, I can't um, like the day that I met you <laughs> still saying things you probably shouldn't say No, I'm kidding um, <laughs> the, 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 That's been quite special actually and, and you know, just as we begin and if I can acknowledge that you know, there, there's sometimes the people in our communities who put a real effort in to, to notice when people are trying to do their best and give it a go and and you know with my family and, and for me you've been one of those people who you know, consistently finds ways to open doors and keep encouraging and I, I, I actually found in my experiences as far more and growing up in Christchurch that's kind of unusual and I and, and, and at times I, you know, people get so awkward about our cultural background or 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 their lack of experience with our with our communities that they often don't even know how to talk to people who are different or who maybe have had different experience to them and and so it's quite nice when we've got our um our leaders who have had similar experiences to us and and you being one of them who can just sort of sit in the middle and yeah help those who might not understand better understand um i I live in Christchurch, but right now I'm talking to you from Dunedin, where my grandparents live, and so this is a very special place to me. And so I, I work sort of across to Waipounamu around Pacific young people and Pacific people participating in, in democracy and in decision making, and yeah, try and activate decision makers to, to listen better and act more, really. Awesome. And finally, we have the amazing Katie Mills. Uh, Katie joined my team with the Knowledge Commons about a year ago. We were trying to work out just recently uh, as our youth liaison officer and also more recently uh, won the Working for Youth uh, Award at the Waitaha Canterbury Youth um, Awards, which was awesome as well. So, Katie, talk to us about, tell us about your role. Kia ora koutou. Very tough acts to follow. Um, you, it's like, this is like the dream team um, on this podcast. I don't know if you know yet, if you're listening, but it is the dream team. Um, and definitely want to total call everything Josiah said about you, Aka. Um, I, like, it's every word is so true. Um, and I this couldn't have put the, it better than myself. This is the real reason I'm talking to you. Just <laughs> stroke me, but this is great. <laughs> you guys are too kind. <laughs> um, no, Aka is just the best at opening doors, hey, and um, bringing people into spaces and, and doing stuff like this. So, um, who am I? Um, I am Katie Mills and I am born and raised here in Ototahi Christchurch. 
Um, I was a student at the University of Canterbury for five years. Um, and during my time as a student at TUC, um, found it a bit hard not to be energized by being surrounded by thousands of young people every day. Um, and knowing that you're around the future, like you're immersed in the future every day um, is probably one of the most inspiring moments that I kind of had as a young person. Um, which then led me to be um, on the University of Canterbury Students Association um, for two years and then just couldn't leave the space really. <laughs> um, so started to basically talk ACANT into letting me hang around um, with the Knowledge Commons and doing some work and I guess connecting the university um, with the wider young community um, in Ototai and Waitaha um, and also connecting young people with people, decision makers, whatever it be, people with power or money, frankly, um, to help empower them to do the mahi that they need to do to empower young people to thrive um, in Christchurch. So that mm. probably surmises what it is that I do, I guess. <laughs> it's different you. every day. <laughs> it is definitely different every day. Um, so, and I, as always, I send a few questions around to people who are taking part in the podcast, but we kind of end up in different tracks and from time to time. So I forgive me if I go and ask you curly questions that you're not ready for, but um, what I've found the older I get is that a lot of people don't actually know how to make friends or build connections. It's really easy to build a connection when you're a kid mm -hmm. because you're both at the park and you want to play on the swing. So you play on the swing or you play on the seesaw, whatever else it might be. But as you get older, this, I don't know if it's because we feel fucking or shameful about approaching someone or if it's just hard to build connections, but you all work in very different communities, talking to people who are much uh, older than you or even young, or younger than you from different backgrounds. How do you approach uh, a new situation where you actually want to not just get work done but get to know someone um who wants to go first Josiah do you want to do you want to give a give it a go because I know some of the 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 worlds and the the areas you play in can there's kind of, sometimes a lot of stigma around the work you're doing as well so you have to almost make someone feel safe about being part of that space as well yeah um love to. uh the I guess the beginning is like you say it sometimes I feel like when if, if I'm talking about someone who's trying to relate to me you can you find people sometimes you we overcompensate too much it's on one hand if we're talking to someone who's different than us or we don't know if we identify with it's not trying to be anything other than who we are and i find that's exactly what works best we also sometimes have to realize that, that um like who's holding the, the stick in the conversation who's talking more than others i mean these are not necessarily insightful things but it's, it's just being aware of how we're coming across i suppose that's that's the main thing and, and but when i'm in, in group settings where we're trying to um enable different people to speak it's it's often you know being a deep listener and and, and reading the body language maybe if someone hasn't said something and going aside with them at the break and just checking that you that they actually feel safe or and, and working out what you can do to, to address those situations I mean, a couple of times where um some really dominating young men in particular circumstances we've had to say your lived experience is your lived experience but actually you have to be aware of others and so you know us using our privilege to have those conversations as well mm, really cool rosa do you want to add from some of yeah, your experiences 
Awesome. Um, I think for me, it's going into communities and never going, here's what I need. It's always being open and receptive to just connect first, because I think an experience when adults have come to me like, I need this from you, I need your opinion on this. Mm. I'm most likely not going to reply to that email very, very fast, unless I know them, unless I have that connection. So like, for your example, I can't, when you reached out about this, of course I'm going to be keen because it's a coping for your driving, but when it's people that you don't even know their face and they've just sent out this Zoom link, it just feels very isolating. It doesn't feel like they actually want that relationship for beneficial reasons. And then just another rule that I always bring is bring a packet of biscuits or some kai, meet that person where they want to meet. Like there's nothing worse than having to go to some snooty offices and being that too loud dangatahi. Like that's always me. I come into places a bit too loud and a bit too bold. So I like to be welcomed in a place that I feel comfortable Mm. And your Kylos just makes things better. Mm. Preach. Mm. <laughs> I think Rosa, I don't know if there's much more I can add. Rosa took the words out of my mouth there is that you get so approached far too often in a very transactional manner. Um, and it doesn't open the space for Rangataki to actually talk about the things that they want to talk about or the mm. things that they need. Um, and it's just not a very good platform for a relationship. Um, if it's always going to be one-sided and from observing as well from the outside there's a lot of people who want to hear from rangatahi Mm. but not necessarily listen Mm. Uh, and and when that happens time and time again it's it's taxing it's draining and almost like rosie you were talking about well i know you i know the couple you're carrying on this you you know i trust you in this and that trust is is important um, so establishing that first, and if that means let me work with them uh, initially and then and on a one-on-one basis, like Josiah was saying, maybe take them aside in a quiet space, make them feel safe, and maybe they'll feel more confident. I was talking to Elise Lysett yesterday, uh, and just the importance of having multiple people in the room as well, because mm-hmm. otherwise everyone's like, oh, okay, so Katie, you're young. What do you think? Oh, Josiah, you're Pacific. What does mm. the Pacific community think? And Rosa, you're Māori, therefore you must be. And that can be very confronting, but also mm. can can be put a lot of pressure, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, there's this guy called Darren Nathan at Ministry and his mm. best advice to people engaging with iwi Māori is, it's called a thousand cups of tea because he's like, when you're having hui with people, you first listen and that might take a hui. And then you might do another thing where you actually get the mahi done collaboratively, but you should never end it there. It's like continue it, even if it's just to catch up. Because I think engagement when it's just like that, yeah, it's just false in a way. Our friend um, Juanita had a really good saying there last week as well. Um, She said, one is none. Mm. Um, So if you have one person in the room who represents something, um, then that's really nothing you've probably tokenized that person and it's one voice out of um of what is actually a really heterogeneous um space yeah mm. and, and and i don't i know and i don't miss no i need to say this to you because you know this but a lot of people maybe drag a young person in or a pacific person in a maori person in and say speak for the community but you you represent one voice and one perspective and you are not the overarching authority but maybe you get used that way sorry just no no all i was going to say and it connects to what you're saying there is that being on um, a number of boards and board work being my job um i've often had to help these boards think about yes i am the youngest board member by a lot and yes i am 
Samoan and typically the only Pacific person and maybe the only Polynesian person. There may be no Māori on the board. And, um, but but the, each of the board has the responsibility, each of the board members has the responsibility for their own relationships and to deepen their own learning. And it's a collective effort of the board. And it's been, it's, it's sometimes difficult to be the one to have to help the board understand that actually it's all of us that are responsible for everything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when it comes to finances, or when it comes to the strategy, everyone's quite clear on the collective responsibility. And so it's just trying to deepen and say, actually, this is the same. It's the same with iwi engagement or whanau hapu. And, and actually, no, you cannot delegate that to someone else. And that tikanga, that protocol that you have to be able to give effect to lets down the whole board if you can't do it and if you aren't deepening it. And so trying to, to reframe it as if your tikanga capability is weak, then in, in the new New Zealand that's growing, your financial and your strategic capabilities won't be enough. And so, yeah, and then, and then so actually about mentoring that intergenerational and then that cross-cultural learning through you actually being open to the difference. Sure, for sure. Um, anyone that spent more than five minutes with me will know that I hate these terms like uh, this is what the millennials think, this is what the boomers think, this is what uh, I think I'm a zenial kind of Gen X slash millennial, <laughs> and that uh, I don't know. I I'm not fighting with anyone. You know, the boomers and the millennials hate each other. I think, but I think we're okay. I don't understand. <laughs> but these are really reductive, stupid terms that kind of say, well, they must all think the same. And, and it's for me, it does a disservice to the power that consumer behavior has, or even just sociology has, or or just being a human has to treat someone as a human. So um, when it comes to authentic engagement, if you're trying to uh, get people to uh, engage in an authentic manner, do you have some some tips beyond what you've said? I really liked what you said, Josiah, to say to use your privilege to enable someone else to feel safe in the space. But uh, is there a way that we as uh, leaders, or you and leaders in particular, um, can use and utilize that privilege and maybe break down some of those, uh, what are they, the, the sort of um, assumptions people make about young people in particular or generations in, uh, in general? My initial thoughts on this um, were obviously, I guess, I don't know, you've termed it uh, as a, we are leaders. <laughs> um, I think is it's about letting that young, whatever you were going to call them, Zoomers, millennials, is letting them lead and, and create a space or pathway for authentic engagement themselves. Um, so it's really hard if you haven't, I guess, got the proof of um, developing a genuine relationship with a young person to develop a platform for wider engagement, um, mm. unless you haven't kind of proven that you can be a safe person for that. If that makes sense, I'm trying to describe it. Um, and then that becomes the point at which you can empower other young people to essentially have privilege and to be able to create spaces for other young people. And it's kind of like a pipeline of mm. leadership, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's making sense at all, but. <laughs> it, it's, it seems to be very much the sort of mm. mantra that we try to use mm. is, you know, by youth, for youth. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh what is used a lot I hear from my car here nothing about us without us you know mm. don't start deciding what is best for young people or Māori or Pacific yeah. without involving them from the start exactly yeah so. yeah I think as well like let's just resource and give jobs to our rangatahi like if they've got the answers then them find them for us because I find it frustrating that they'll be like please organize a group of 10 rangatahi that I can talk to 
and then you're just expected to be there for free or you're expected to do all this organization it's like how do I ensure that uh, my friends and my dangatahi going into this kaupapa are feeling like it's actually a thing they are going to get benefit from so it's kind of like if we work for a kaupapa that we love and if we get remunerated for that then the likelihood of engagement is going to be more positive because we can be better champions for it as well mm. and I feel like when you're engaging it's just good to know like good to note for the people you're engaging with that it's going to actually align with some of the goals that they have so when they're speaking and they're giving their goals and the direction that they hope for a certain kaupapa that the organization actually makes clear communicated ways back to them of how things have changed for that because I think that's a loop that always gets kind of just forgotten for engagement and communication with our groups especially being a Maori community it's always like what do you need more of? And uh, Tipu and I have said that for the last 30 years and no one's listened to it. So it's kind of getting repetitive and it feels just like, why are you asking us over and over again if you're not going to show us how you're going to change it? Yeah, the, the, I hear you, but I'm not listening mm. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like, just show us the action and then maybe the engagement will become easier because people mm. see where it's coming and going to. Mm. Um, something else, one role that the three of us often play, and you do this too, Akan, is, is the broker role, that person who sits in the middle who can kind of help bring the community to those organisations. And I think sometimes there's, that role is undervalued and, and could be enhanced. Um, and just generally about who's involved and who helps make the space safe. You know, when, when the invite goes out sometimes and, um, and it's just to the young people themselves, it's kind of not really realistic for who who should be in the room to help enable the conversation, um, youth workers, whānau, wh whatever might make it safe. But sometimes I think it's just better to frame it as a community discussion, targeting young people or, or asking for young people particularly to come, but it's in the reality of who's there. And the other thing I've been finding really difficult with some organisations trying to work with young people is um, the, the, the lack of boundaries about what they expect in the communication and in the um, in the relationship with young people like in our organization we have to use five different types of social media to contact all the young people that we work with and and that's just our reality and a lot of organizations aren't willing to do that and so totally understand but you know just like how, how willing are you to get the deep engagement and it's awesome if you can but then in doing that too you know sort of being upfront with the young people you're working with around how you how you have that relationship the digital relationship or that ongoing thing and we've seen a lot of politicians in the last few years um abuse their roles where it's, it's a series of young people continually get put in the in the danger zone and um and those those political organizations and those um institutions haven't reacted to strengthen the the, the safety mechanisms for young people reporting the, the problems and that bad behavior continuing and so I guess I'm just generally concerned that a lot of organisations aren't like going beyond the Vulnerable Children's Act, like that's the minimum standard, but just general good boundaries about you wouldn't do this to an adult. So let's let's just, it's hard, yes, but it's worth it when you do it well, but you just got to make sure you have the minimums you'd expect with anyone else. And, and this kind of speaks to some of the what I consider to be bad behavior that I'm seeing, especially in employment situations where during hiring processes, people will go onto someone's um, social media accounts and, and decide whether they like that person based on what they pu post publicly as well. 
And I, I've literally sat in boardrooms and said, every single one of you have done drugs. I have seen some of you do drugs, except there were no phones around at the time to record it, you know? So don't get angry at this person because they're out in town having a good time. They're not doing drugs. They're just enjoying themselves. But it's it, it's almost like this character assassination that comes with it. So it's not just, here's the Vulnerable Children's Act and you must mm. keep them safe in this way, but actually don't bully people based on, on their existence as well and, and the way that they live their life, which uh, from the other side, I have heard, yes, but we have a brand, we have a, an image and we don't want this to be tainted by young people being young. And what you end up finding is a lot of young people leaving themselves or who they are at the door in order to comply or, or, or deculturalize themselves and be the, the, the wider culture, which I don't think is healthy either. Mm. It's interesting when you say Im image and branding, because it's so true, because even within Māori community, it's like, oh, we'll go to this hapu or this organisation that's well known, but we won't go to low desal schools that have rangatahi that might think completely differently, or we won't go to those vulnerable areas where there's poverty, because those people, oh no, they don't know what we're talking about, they won't understand, it feels very like othering even though they're trying to help a vulnerable community but they're not willing to actually break down what Māori community and what sits inside that so I think people are doing well at starting the engagement with Māori but then it's like do you even know how to break that down do you even know what's in within that community do you know the tikanga of that culture or who you're engaging with because if you don't know how they're going to respond or how they want you to act around them then it's going to be impossible to even start that engagement in the first place. Sure. Um, and it, it seems to be a, a, sort of a universal theme that's coming out a bit from what everyone's saying is meet them where they are, you mm. know, whoever they are, whether it's older people, younger people, you know, people of colour, whatever, mm. meet them where they are. And But there is a universal truth, and I, I don't care what culture you are, food always helps, you know, <laughs> whether it's uh, – we, we used to do that in our home. We would always say, come over, have kai, have something to eat will cook and it doesn't matter what your culture is most people like food and mm -hmm. and even if they don't like that food they're going to enjoy the experience um uh, there are some common i think bugbears that i that we see from time to time or assumptions or potentially um uh, things that are said and done uh, about young people that come up a lot i wonder if there's some that you hear a lot that you kind of like I wish people would stop saying this or doing this around me. Uh, and that would that would really help us to build that that connection. Because as soon as you say that, it makes me feel like you don't get me or you are devaluing who I am or something like that. Does that mm. make sense? What are the sort of things yeah. you come across? I, I have two that immediately come to mind. One is um, the way that the term like intergenerational is just like thrown around and tossed around as like oh we're thinking of young people but more often than not unfortunately it's about we're thinking about a burden we're passing on to young people um or we're just trying to like express that we're thinking about it when we're just going to like use this buzzwordy term and not actually talk about intergenerational solutions or intergenerational solidarity or what we're going to do to promote the next generation um which is a shame because the word is a nice and help, useful word, but it's starting to starting to be, I guess, um, hijacked. Um, the other one is the there's attitudes around experience and who is experienced and who is inexperienced, and um, young people just by virtue of their age are often de automatically deemed inexperienced. Um, but 
when you look at the word experience and what it really means, it de- denotes what you've lived and what you've seen and what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't understand how um, young people's experience, lived experience can be devalued in, in that way. Um, do, do you wonder, do you think, and I, again, I, I don't know, do you think that many people do this mm-hmm. because everyone, regardless of where they are in life, has been young? I, I've not been a woman, so I, I, I try not to speak for women. I, I'm not like Pacific, so I don't speak for that. Yeah. But everyone's been young. So, oh, I know what it was like then. You'll grow out of it. And that's kind of a bit dehumanizing as well. Totally. And everyone has been young, but not everyone's been young in 2022 or in that, you know, age of COVID-19. So there's nuance to all of that as well. What about you guys? What are the sort of things that you come across a lot, whether it's... <laughs> whether it's meant maliciously or if it's done casually that that kind of go yeah that's the fourth time today I've heard that question (laughs) or that statement's been made probably the most the most uh the one that happens so often is asking where I was born and um I was born in Dunedin and but they don't ask where I was born in New Zealand they ask you know oh when did you move here from the Pacific or did you go and I know that's a very common experience for people of color that there's kind of assuming we're we're from somewhere else and yes we our ancestry is but but that we've that we've been privileged to grow up here um and and um often then the conflation of like i I had someone recently ask me about um across the pacific you know you're all talking together in the same way and i got to what the heart of what they were trying to say they thought that also people spoke one language and i haven't heard that one too often but um but just that general homogenization that happens across the different Pacific communities. And we, yeah, we are a Pacific community here in New Zealand and through the wider Pacific region, which includes Māori. But the, but the harder piece in New Zealand's piece is that there are, we, are all, we all have our differences in that as well. And the same with iwi and hapū, you know, you, you might come into this general grouping, but you're your whakapapa relationships are so different. You've, you, some of your ancestors didn't get on with the ancestors in other communities and all these other things. And so it's just being culturally careful and it's you know, that um, you're not assuming all the same. I also personally don't use the term Pacific Islander when I'm talking about New Zealand Pacific people, um, even though arguably we are Pacific Islanders because New Zealand is a Pacific Island, um, but Pacific people is a term that is kind of used these days. So, yeah. Yeah, and I'll jump in there. Um, well, as a fair-skinned Wahine Māori, I think a lot of the first initial comments I get is, oh, you're Māori. And I, because I usually employ start with some sort of te reo Māori greeting or introduce myself and people are like, oh, you can speak te reo. Or it's those sort of like, oh, you, you do have those skills. And then it kind of goes to the whole, oh, you're very opinionated for a Māori woman. <laughs> Almost like you sit back, go back to the marae kitchen, we don't need you here sort of vibes. And then you get stuff like, oh, yeah, you're a good girl for, oh, you're good, you're a good Māori girl, which to me kind of insinuates, oh, you're smart, that's surprising, or oh, you're passionate, that's surprising. So I think a lot of those historical stereotypes kind of hit me on the day to day. But then I always get really annoyed with the word enabling young people because it's kind of like, why do we need to be handed down stuff for our own solutions when we can actually come up with our own solutions for everything that we're facing? So, yeah, I think the way that even English words are used towards us, like enable and 
oh let's uplift this kopapa for young people it's kind of like you're still not the experienced person if you're coming to young people for the solution then don't say that you're the one that's making it happen we're the ones that are making it happen so yeah and, and sometimes sometimes the best way to enable a young person is to step out of the way mm, uh, yeah. and you know just not hold them back mm, um yeah. and 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 that sort of thing um the the where are you from from uh question is is a classic one for me as well i, I get that a lot and especially moving to new zealand and when i started to engage more with our maori and, and tikanga maori it took a while for me to understand the purpose of that question was to build connection in whakawhinongitanga when it was asked by someone who is Māori. But what I do find is that when someone is not Māori, it's not done as a way of building connection, but a way of trying to place you. You don't seem to fit in with what I think is normally here. Therefore, I need to find a place for you. And I think that goes way beyond skin. That goes way beyond uh, age or gender or anything like that it is human nature to want to try and find placement but if we could change that from i need to place you to i need to find a way that we can connect which is the purpose of whakawhinongatanga to find oh yeah so i can see now how we connect here or i have that then i think that can uh, you can still ask that question but still hopefully in a positive way does that make sense and i think that you're you're really just touching on like or not not no, you're not just touching on the poor fitty process, but people see stuff like Māori tikanga as just that. It's just something we do. But if you actually look at poor fitty as a concept, the karanga, the first call, so how you're going to communicate with that person to engage with them in an email, like those different concepts in our engagement strategies. But yeah. Cool. Um, I'm going to embarrass you all now by talking about something that I think you're all passionate about, but... Uh, I think is, is super important to, to our world at the moment. So all three of you in your different ways have been fundamental in, in encouraging uh, people to get vaccinated and, and stay safe during this COVID time. Literally just the, between the three of you, you have saved thousands of lives with the influence you've had within your own communities. And as a result of that, you have been fundamentally been able to change uh, the future of this country, because you were able to connect with these people on a very difficult, difficult topic, which people my age and above could never have been able to break through. Um, so I just want to recognize that number one, that the more that people like me who have knowledge about marketing or something, thinks they can translate that down into a, a space like engaging with youth and around vaccines and things like that, would never have worked absolutely never worked the only time i think it kind of worked was about this time last year during the make summer great again or something like that and they had uh, uh, daddy bloomfield uh, on the drum and bass track this year's one wasn't as good i don't think um but that was that but that that's part of the meme isn't it um I, I wondered if you would be so kind to talk a little bit more about your process of how you engage in this really difficult space of vaccinations because there is a lot of passion around that within young people within pacific and maori communities but still managed to do that in a way that hopefully brought people together rather than divided us sure i'm happy to start well i think the the, the first thing when um when we found out that we were going into lockdown i, I remember you know the very first a little bit about that time and what President Trump had been saying and what other people have been saying and whether you know it wasn't important or was important. I remember that um, a couple of our Pacific leaders at the time had been 
they, they, they weren't sure it was going to be big, big, but they just, the good thing about them in, in our community often is that we've, um, we know that we're supported to get the information we need. So I felt like as we were going into that first lockdown, I had some really good information about the possible impact that this would have on our community. And um, particularly that Pacific young people would be some of the ones who, if we weren't vaccinated or we weren't getting, um, weren't distancing and weren't following other protocols would end up being some of the ones that pass it to our matua who are more likely to pass away because of our immunocompromised status of our families. Um, and I guess the, the, that was a, that was so much for me to kind of be like, we need to cut this off, but it, and, and block as much of this as we can, and and, and save all the lives that we can. And, and I guess the first thing is we were never none of us for the Pacific youth who were doing this were doing this by ourselves because we had that resource from our elders. A lot of our young people don't have that anymore, which is, is something that I think all cultural young people who have those special, like I call them the mid-tier, the ones who, who aren't so old, they're kind of our elders, but they kind of have that knowledge to be able to help lead, direct and support and then provide cover for the youth voice. And that kind of role was something that, that was really helpful. Um, and I guess the other thing that we sort of did was attempt to sow doubt. So for those young people who, who are Pacific who became very, very anti-COVID and anti-vax, we know we couldn't change their minds. So what we would attempt to do is just support those who we could by sharing the right information, an easy way to understand. But then for those who, um, who, who we didn't think that we could change their minds immediately, we would just pick off one issue that we knew wasn't true, AKA a big one for Pacific communities was the faith, the faith stuff around um, what was in the vaccine. And so we would, we got some of our credible New Zealand leaders and Pacific leaders to review the science and make summarised statements saying this is not true and just consistently chip away at those things. And then some of the, um, the unfortunate Pacific cases in Australia and other places also was helpful because the, the hearing about what was happening other places meant that our wider families knew. So I guess there's, there's lots of things working in tandem, but that's just some of what happened, I guess. Now, now, Rosie, you, you set up a TikTok account to get Māori youth to come along to a vaccination drive. I mean, that that sacrifice I would never ask anyone to do, to get on TikTok for this. So, <laughs> tell me more about your approach uh, in, in this space as well. Yeah, well, I told myself I'd never make a TikTok until vaccination clinic came. So I sacrificed a lot personally. <laughs> I think with social media, we see a lot of negatives come to light when stuff like global pandemics happen or um, something in the media pops up. There's a lot of negative stuff going on. And so I thought when I was seeing all this, I was like, how can we be counterproductive? How can we show something that's actually going to help people that are on here? Because a lot of them were stories that I'm like, that's not true. Or it's stuff about people's personal opinions that had no information with them. So when we were making TikToks, it was purely, let's have some fun. Let's meet the rangatahi where they are, which is in pop culture, whether we like it or not. There's pop culture all around us as young people. Um, but there's also really cool indigenous pop culture. And if you find that side of TikTok or Instagram, it makes sharing stuff like these TikToks so easy because everyone wants to support people they trust and everyone wants to support other indigenous people on social media because we are the minority. So I think what really worked about on their emails or who even don't have a TV to watch the news, 
could flick through their phone and watch us do a dance and go, aha, that's Rosa dancing. She said she'd never do that. Oh, there's a message about a vaccination clinic as well. So I think it was us going, let's meet the rangatahi at a platform that works for them and that's actually transferable. Because I think in terms of vaccination, we weren't targeted as rangatahi Māori. We were not targeted with any specific comms that met us. They kind of expected our parents to filter that down. And if you don't live at home or if you're not with your whānau for other reasons, how is they going to hear about it? And if it's not important to you because you're flirting and you're kind of like blasé about it, or you're around all these people that don't agree with it, then you're not really presented with the information at all. So yeah, I think social media is a really great space to use in the right ways. And it's something that people need to tap into way more and just help our Indigenous content creators and collab with them and yeah, kind of meet those people and find a way to get the information, whether it be on TikTok, whether it be making fun of yourself in a dance video to get it out there. <laughs> It's going to be a while. My my fourteen year old did say you should do some dances on TikTok because you're so serious, and it would be really funny. I'm like, nah. nah. We'll do one together. An introduction to your um MBA class. That's one thing. TikTok. <laughs> well, I would just add that I think all of this speaks to the most important thing to recognise and you know, the vaccination drive with young people was that young people are not homogenous mm. um, and that there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution that will just get every young person in Aotearoa lining up to get their vaccine. Um, I think there was an underlying assumption perhaps about young people that maybe we're like woke or something and that didn't need a strategy because we'd just line up naturally or I'm not too sure um but we quickly recognized when speaking to young people there were a lot of barriers um depending on their situation to getting vaccinated whether that was access um or whether that was not having all the information or the right information with a digitally native young people so um as much as we might have access to all the information we have access to all the conspiracy theories as well mm -hmm. and depending on what side of the internet you're on that depends on what side of what you're getting so um so that was really the key and you can go on TikTok, um, but you've also got to speak to people. And, and I think this is really like the story that Josiah and Rosa have just told is. Yeah, and that's that's so true about, you know, mm. you you know you can reach people through TikTok and Facebook and Instagram mm. and the like, but that's also the place that people are being fed misinformation. Mm. So it's, it's almost, and, and I, I know this because it's part of my job to study these online cultures. You see spaces and places where it is far safer to engage in uh, scientific discussion around the, the vaccine and COVID and things like that. While others, if I posted something in a public forum, you know that you're going to get brigaded hardcore, mm -hmm. even though we know that less than four or five percent of the population now are, are vaccinated. You know, most people have got the vaccinated. Uh, vaccine. Um, so I want to finish in my usual way and ask each of you uh, what you're hopeful for for the future. What are the things that you're going and going, kind of going, yeah, I, I'm really excited about this. This gives me hope. There genuinely have been times that Katie and I have been in meetings and the word intergenerational debt have been <laughs> used really flippantly. And I kind of nudge her and I'm like, that's you. That, that's your pain for this sort of thing. And me doing it as a joke, but it's genuinely a heartbreaking thing for many young people thinking they're going to do that. But is there something that gives you hope for the future? Uh, I wonder if we should go with Josiah then Katie, then Rosa. How about that? Just so you have time to think. How, Josiah, why don't you tell us what you're hopeful for? 
Um, I think some of the things I've seen in the last couple of years that make me more hopeful is people understanding and, and seeing more people say that New Zealand is a Pacific country. And that's not to take away from um, what Tangata Whenua lead or, or, or do, that's just saying that this is in the Pacific region, that Aotearoa is not in Europe. And so the relationship between Samoa and Tonga and other Pacific countries is much closer. Seeing people acknowledge that and, and a number of people change how they live and work because of that it's been awesome some businesses who've made um, uh, pipelines of like supply chain through the pacific awesome other one is that um, more people are recognizing that new zealand has specific obligations to the pacific cook islands new way and free association and Tokelau is a colony of new zealand and people attempting to try and not just decolonize internally in new zealand but decolonize our not so foreign affairs and then probably the last one is that we're seeing a rebalance and who's leading the boards of new zealand Amazing. I feel really bad because Katie said it was a really hard act to follow and you, I've just put it next again. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but it's funny because um, Josiah has just proved what my point is and what I'm about to say is that what gives me hope is that despite the fact that young people often don't get listened to and they often do end up in really exploitative um, circumstances, tick boxing experiences, there are still people like Josiah and Rosa and hundreds more across the country who are still committed to what they're doing. Um, and that's what gives me hope. Awesome. Rosa. Yes. And yourself, Katie, please. <laughs> and, um, I think firstly and foremost, always it'll be um, um, so just all of our rangatahi, all of our tamariki that are growing up, I always look at, like, I see what they're doing, like the business ideas from like year 12s and 13s and just the different things they're producing. I'm like, go for it. Like they are creating the solutions. They are the rangatira of tomorrow. And I'm so excited. They give me hope. And that's who I want to work for. Even though I kind of am a young person still, I just pretend I'm old and work for the children. Um, and I think the way that we're moving from pan-tribal solutions to iwi solutions is really, really positive. I mean, I've got a bit of an insight working for the ministry and government after my whole life being anti-government, well, not anti-government, but anti the decisions of some of the governments and what they've chosen for our peoples. Um, but yeah, being on, on the inside and kind of getting that scoop of um, kaupapa a iwi and changing the school system to actually have some really, really cool opportunities for iwi to create curricula and I see in the future. Um, yeah. Oh, and then probably lastly, like my experience being as a young person, young professional, Māori in an organisation for a few months has been actually really phenomenal, which I was not, not that I'm surprised, but I think the way that they've shown Manaki and have actually gone, your ideas are everything to us. And they've kind of sat with us, well, within our Māori team, they've sat with us and really shown us that everything we're contributing is actually going to change the way they work. So I think that commitment from our, from our elders, who we are supposed to look up to, that kind of reciprocal ako is getting a lot better. So I think that's a good hope for the future. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm going to try and really badly summarise some of the, the key themes that you've, you've all three of you have brought up. But um, it seems like a lot of the 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 best way or the easiest way that you have talked about to engage with a wide variety of people is number one meet them where they are at 
uh, don't come in with your ideas of how an engagement should happen, go to them uh, and, and engage in a way that they would want to be engaged with. Um, listen to them. Uh, don't just hear or have them in the room, listen, uh, act upon what they have said and, and how they've said it uh, and value them for who they are, not because they are they represent something or they're a tick box or something like that. But I, I actually want to hear from Rosa, irrespective of X, Y and Z. Uh, and food. Uh, that was uh, that only came up once or twice, but I think it's just an important part that we should incorporate everywhere. Um, but uh, I, I just really appreciate the the Focaro, the, the 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 time you've taken as well to not just put into this podcast, but the work you're doing on a daily basis to to help everyone understand how well we can engage with youth authentically, Māori, Pacific, on some really, really difficult topics. And we've already only scratched the surface of the mahi that you're all doing. So really appreciate it. So kia ora hoa Thank you so much for your time. Have a great one. And I will catch you on the next podcast. Ka kite anō. Ka kite.